Welcome to Adventures in Marketing. I'm Caleb Wines. And I'm Chris Kent. We're two industry veterans who will be having conversations all around marketing and media, what we've seen in our careers, what we see happening currently, and how we think it's going to affect the future of the industry. Getting the right ad in front of the right person at the right time in the right place is a foundational definition of successful advertising. Getting two out of three is still a fail if you end up in the wrong place. Budgets have shifted to platforms that have a higher chance of running afoul of brand safety guidelines. Therefore, brands, agencies, and the media partners themselves need to work longer and harder to prevent ads from running adjacent to problematic content. Elon Musk didn't do anyone any favors by loosening safeguards on X, formerly known as Twitter. But also partnering with celebrities and influencers pose additional levels of risk. On today's episode, Chris and I discuss the rapidly increasing topic of brand safety in advertising. Hey everybody, welcome back to the pod. Today, Caleb and I are going to be discussing brand safety. What is brand safety? How much can you actually take measures to make sure that you are being safe with your brand? What can we look for in the future? And honestly, what's going on right now? I mean, we might as well just start with X and Elon Musk. What do you think about what's going on, Caleb? It's pretty crazy. I mean, I've been a huge fan of that platform for a while. I mentioned it on an earlier episode, but it's really gone downhill, obviously, since he's taken over. He's removed a lot of the safeguards. He's alienated a lot of people, a lot of advertisers, and it's just not the same place it was before, despite the fact that they still have a huge, huge audience. So let's just set the timetable real quick. Not sure when listeners will be listening to it, but just so you understand, today is the 30th of November. So we have just gone through the whole debacle that Musk X have gone through over the past couple of days around Thanksgiving. Yesterday was the very infamous interview in New York with Musk in which he basically told off advertisers. I will spare the actual wording that he used. But I think at this point, I, I guess the, I guess my question is, and before we really dive into brand safety, let's talk about X for a moment. There's almost you almost need to bifurcate the two. X as a platform and what it can and cannot do, and then Musk and what he's doing to the platform through his actions, right? So on one hand, people are pulling off of Twitter, or sorry, X, because of what Musk is doing, how Musk is acting in reaction to him, which I understand. But let's say he wasn't doing that. Do you think X either was or could be on a good platform to continue to grow? Yeah, I think the the concept of people microblogging is, is viable. It, and that's been proven out just by how many users have been on that platform for years and continue to use it. I think one of the things that blew me away was like how quickly people post things. Like when I want to go find out some news, I don't go search on Google. I search on Twitter because people are posting a lot faster on that, especially when on current events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen it in a global fashion. People have used it 
just from a, a, a microblogging standpoint, people use it globally to talk about issues that are facing them. A lot of times it transcends the world of marketing and advertising because the platform is viable as a microblogging tool. But I think the problem is when you get at that intersection of advertising is that's when the potential problems occur. And that's what makes the the platform less viable. So what, what I'm hearing you say is that it's a great tool for, for reporting the news. Here's what's going on. Here's an update of the moment, you know, learning no matter where you're at in the world about what's going on, which is why it's so heavily used by journalists. That makes it And it doesn't sense. have to be news. It could be anything. Yeah, but I think it I think it tends to to your point. It could be the World Cup, right? Because as the World Cup's going, things are happening maybe in different time zones, the Olympics, maybe NBA finals. So I get it. There are passion points as well, not just. But again, I'm going to say that whole reporting and discussing type of usage. Right. And again, I think the the, the broader umbrella category is just microblogging. Like if LeBron James is watching an NFL games on Sunday and he sees a great catch and he posts about it and people see his reaction. That's just microblogging. Yeah. Although I go back to the question of, does anybody care? But obviously people do. <laughs> yeah. I think Twitter, one of the problems that Twitter has faced, I shouldn't say problem, a hurdle that Twitter has faced is I do think people have a hard time with that microblogging, with the written word, trying to be succinct, trying to be whether it's funny, whether it's be thought provoking, whatever it is, if you're not a reporter, right? If you're like myself, I think that's much more difficult than just taking a beautiful picture or a funny picture and posting it like to Instagram. Yeah, I but I think that's the beauty of it. I think it it makes you think. It makes you think of what you're going to say and how to condense your thought into 140 characters. That's the beauty of it. It it actually limits. You can't just spew out an unlimited amount of scree that are going to bore people. You have to think about what you're going to say and do some editing before you actually, you know, post it. I think a lot of people don't do that and they end up posting stuff they wish they could take back and often end up deleting. But I think the conceptually it's just a short form thing. So you can digest somebody's post and not have to wade through an entire article like you would on a traditional online newsfeed. Yeah. And I will admit just, you know, for sake of transparency that I was never, still am not a heavy Twitter slash X user. I have it on my phone for when I run campaigns for clients that I can actually make sure how things are running, what it looks like, all that kind of stuff. But I am not going to just open X on a random Saturday. Let's just say, well, I'm waiting for something at the, you know, whatever I'm at the you know, waiting for my car to get done on an oil change. I'm not going to open it up and scroll through it like I might Instagram. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I weaned myself off of it years ago. I think that just the the political commentary that gets popped up in my feed, it was just too much. And I just it was even the people that I followed that I really enjoyed reading their posts, I no longer enjoyed because of the just the the negative commentary that was going on at the time. And so it was I I am no I'm no longer a heavy user, but I used to. I used that was one of the first things I would open every morning just to kind of check the feed. And now I don't do it hardly ever at all. So let's go back to our main topic of the day, which is brand safety, which obviously parlays right out of what we're talking about with X. And by brand safety, what we are talking about today really is, and just putting a, a very fine bow on it, it's how do you keep your brand 
either in safe environments, so away from bad content, how do you make sure that it stays, whether it's positive, whether it's reaffirming, the, the, the right places we always talk about in media, right? Right place, right message, right, you know, right time, right place, right message. So let's talk about brand safety and let's use a little bit of X and then we can also talk about other platforms that you know we have dealt with. But right now, I don't know if it's if it's a safe place to be for a brand. I think any any time that there is if the advertising platform relies on user generated content, you're never going to get 100% brand safety. And I would even apply that to things like news programming because the content varies and you could end up running against disaster or or I'm not going to say objectionable content, but it's content that doesn't match up with what you're trying to portray in your brand or your brand message. So I think that there's a lot of places that if you rely on user-generated content, you're going to run into some brand safety problems. There's just there's never a way to mitigate it. I mean, we had a problem one time. YouTube, there was a terrorist post and some major advertisers were found out to be adjacent to the those videos and it was only a handful of impressions but at the at the same time and this this was the thing it wasn't it wasn't necessarily YouTube's fault it wasn't necessarily the agency's fault we had an incredible platform of being able to weed out any objectionable content. There was a blacklist, there was a whitelist, there was all these things that limited the amount of places that we could end up being to prevent these kind of things. YouTube also has these things. They don't want to have advertising run yeah. in front of stuff that users post. So they have an algorithm that prevents you know things from happening. But sometimes, best intentions, things end up in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's, there's really nothing you can do about that. You can get it down close to zero, but you're always going to run the risk of something happening. I think the problem with X is they took away so many safeguards that now that chance of something bad happening is a lot higher. Yeah. I mean, he completely just took out his entire watchdog group that you know Twitter had put in place to make sure things like this were being kept clean, safe, overseen. But also on one hand, what you and I are talking about has gone on for decades because you have the same problem when you have personalities. Look at Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods had numerous amounts of sponsors, right? He was talking for all sorts of brands. He was the clean cut kid who was winning at golf, bringing home all these world championships and majors and such until he wasn't, right? Until it all came off the rails. And I'm not going to get into the whole thing because everybody knows it, but it's the same thing. Here you thought you had a person that you were safe with your brand and for a long time was, and then gets off the rails because people are people. So to your point, it kind of, it kind of pervades across all your media, which is why you kind of really have to have safeguards on everything you do. All the Fox hosts that have been, you know, forced off air and a lot of it had to do with advertisers objecting to their points of view. And so, you know, when I worked on Honey, we had a no news policy. We just, we did not buy news just said, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to run the risk because you never knew what was going to happen. And quite frankly, all the news that they were airing was bad news anyway. It wasn't a feel good yeah. content. So, but I think the social platforms, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or TikTok, most of the content that people interact with is benign. It's not going to be offensive. It's not going to be 
you know, uh, offending most people. There are those, and those are the ones that get the the press. It's the 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 tweets or the posts or the videos that are offensive, and and those are the ones you want to actively try and avoid. It's tough. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you another example. I'm not going to say the brand because I don't think it's fair to them. But we were in front of the CEO. We were presenting over some of the key parts about the you know the next year's media plan, and he looked at it and he goes. You guys highlighted CNN. Are we buying Fox? And of course, we were all like, and I shouldn't say of course, we were like, no, we really don't have any inventory on Fox. We went pretty heavily into CNN. He's like, he's like, I don't care what your personal view is, but people on Fox also buy our product. So why are we alienating? And he said, well, part of it's also brand safety. There were a lot at that time. Fox was pushing a lot of stories that we thought were more controversial, that we weren't sure we wanted the brand around. And so when we had that discussion, it actually opened up a, a discussion for another hour of, well, how do we stay around it? How can we do this, you know, more safely? But it, 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 it's, a real, it's a real problem at boardroom level sometimes about what do you want your content around? What do you want to be associated with? Where is the line that you're okay with? Because if you're a major brand and you're trying to sell the entire United States, everybody's got opinions about something. So, you, you know, how do you protect your brand, be it still be everywhere to reach so you can continue to grow your brand, enhance your stock? Well, here's another question. Does brand safety even matter? If somebody sees, if somebody's watching a terrorist video, a, a pro-terrorist video or anti-Semitic video and your ad runs, if that person chooses to watch that video and your ad shows up next to it, do they even care? And I think that one of the things with audience buying, the way it is where you're buying hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of impressions over the course of a campaign or two, you're going to have ads run in places that you don't want it. But at the end of the day, if nobody raises a stink, who cares? Well, that's the other problem. Will anybody ever even know for those few impressions that end up there? Will anybody really know that happened? Unless, go back to Twitter, X, somebody takes screenshots, they have a following, and they start putting it out because then it looks like you and I know different. The brand is not supporting the action, right? They might have been programmatically placed there because of some sort of cookie data or whatever. But it looks like because the brand is next to it that the brand could be supporting it. That was Elon's counterpoint. He said the company that found this ad running adjacent, they were a company that was not interacting with with X the way a normal consumer. They were actively trying to find objectionable content and showing that ads from major brands were running against it. So they were doing they were users who had a a a I'll call it a cookie profile mm-hmm. that allowed some of these major brands to run against this content that they were actively searching for. According to Musk, they were trying to capture these major brands running against objectionable content and posting it. Yeah. You know, another form of this that I've had to deal with, you know, my recent uh, past having been in the gaming industry, a lot of brands will say, love to get into gaming, don't understand it, but I don't want to be near anywhere near like first person shooters. Right. And I get that. Your Call of Duties, Tarkov, Rainbow Six, CSGOs, those are very intense military first-person shooter games. Okay. Well, technically, what else is a first-person shooter game? Fortnite. 
but Fortnite's very cartoony in the fact of how the visuals are. They're not called kills, right? They're eliminations. There is no blood, but you are still running around and either shooting someone, stabbing someone, whatever it is, you're eliminating people. And so with the way a lot of these safeguards are, I would have brands that would say to me, hey, I want to run. And we're like, okay, here's what we would suggest. Let's do a, let's make it very simple. We'll do a Fortnite tournament. We'll get a hundred people into a private server. It'll all be brought to you by your brand. We'll bring it to life through social. We'll live stream the whole thing. And then they come back and like, yeah, but we can't have any shooting. And you're like, but it's not the same, but brand safety says we can't do this. And so did a lot of presentation to boardrooms, getting people to understand there are differences. And so people then start to, to your point, where's our brand safety line? Oh, we're okay with this one now. Cause this one's a little bit more cartoony. Now that I understand it, we can do this. It's about, it's about risk tolerance. It is. It's all about risk tolerance. So what level are you comfortable with if something goes wrong? Because like I said at the beginning, something will go wrong the longer you're on these platforms. Yeah. Having ran crisis communications for one of the brands that I worked for, I would sit in meetings before, and this is, I can be honest, it was Red Bull. I would sit ahead of uh, major events and we would literally brainstorm the worst things that could happen during that event to make sure that we had thought about it, we had a plan for it, and we knew exactly how we were gonna react if something were to happen. In fact, I remember coming in, this is really bad, so I apologize for people if this is a little traumatic, but I do remember coming into the office after the Las Vegas uh, country concert shooting and saying, guys, we put on concerts as well. What is our protocol if this is to happen? What do we do, you know, do we have a written down protocol? Uh, again, protocol kind of goes to the wind when everything hits the fan, but, Let's have a thought process. What are we thinking? What could we start with? Let's have a plan so at least we have something to kind of fall back on as a starting point. Uh, every single upfront, broadcast upfront, talks about brand safety because they have scripted programming and it, you're, that's the one place from a video standpoint that you're pretty much guaranteed yeah. you're not going to run into anything that's going to be controversial for the most part. I mean, obviously if, if, if an episode catches fire for the content or whatever, but that's very rare. I mean, they're actively putting out content that's not going to be objectionable. Well, especially in the major networks, they're all writing for 65 year olds and older. So it's going to be very benign <laughs> yeah. content. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it could be, oh, you know, you're running on a, I can't remember the, a, a food personality and then offline, off the show, that person makes some kind of a derogatory remark, but the show's content is not bad, but advertisers end up pulling out anyway. So it's not, yeah. you're not it, it, from a brand safety. It could be the personality, which you brought up earlier with Tiger Woods, but it could be that the the content is safe. It's just the personality associated with it is doing stuff outside of the show's production that is questionable. Yeah, very true. So that's that that's another element of brand safety that is potentially problematic for uh, for advertisers. And again, it goes back to risk tolerance. But I think you know if you look at all the different platforms out there, they all have some various levels of inappropriateness or stuff. And it's just what, what level are you comfortable with? It really is true. And some of them, funny enough, are based on algorithms. And so you're getting data based on things that you have done in your actions that have made the algorithm think, oh, we can feed this in here because you've done X, Y, Z, some sort of cookie data, some sort of action 
that's made it think that you should or want to see this type of content. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Let, let's go back to X for a second. I, there's been a lot of speculation about what what Elon Musk is even doing. That in, One thing I read the other day was that he wants to run it into the ground because he wants to get the maximum amount of loss that he can then use as a tax write-off for his other businesses because he makes so much money in those other businesses. This would actually help him out a great deal. Now, hold on. Are you saying that that was from the very beginning, this article, not you, sorry, but this article was supposing this from the very beginning, like why he wanted it or no, once things started to go off the rails, he was like, well, if this is going to go this way, might as well just run it all the way down. It, it's all speculation. I yeah. think somebody said, hey, you know, this guy's a super Twitter user. He loves the platform. He he knows it's broken. He is the only one who can come in and fix it. He can fix it from a tech standpoint, and he can also fix it from a free speech platform. And, you know, he's not done that. And he, all he's done is driven away users and driven away advertisers. So I think that the you know, based on that, you know, now he's saying, okay, I'm going to pivot and I'm just going to ride this thing into the ground and get the maximum possible loss. Like if he sells it, even if for a fraction, you know, 30 cents on the dollar for what he paid for it, it's not going to be as big a loss as he probably wants in order to be able to use that as the write-off. So he'd rather not sell this to somebody else who could probably fix it He'd rather have it run into the ground to, again, get the maximum. Again, that's just a theory. I don't really know. But you know what is amazing? If you go back, I'm going to use the number three years ago, and you talked about Musk, he was a visionary. He was a man that helped to create, codify, bring to market electric cars in a way that people were excited about the United States. He had this whole supercharging stations that he was going to put around so that way make it all you know run more effortlessly, more seamlessly. At the same time, he then launches um, SpaceX. And he's doing more for SpaceX recently than NASA has done recently, right? He's figured out how to get rockets into space, back down to Earth safely. Not always, but the majority of the time now he's gotten really good at it. He's got more government contracts than NASA does. Like He's got these two unbelievable companies that just for one guy to do one of them would have been an incredible lifetime career. And he did it with two. So to your point, he's a super user of this platform. He's tech-minded. He's got an entrepreneurial spirit. He knows how to take on these big, naughty, weighty problems and wade through them. Who knew it would just go so far left? So going down the conspiracy rabbit hole a a little further, one theory is that He's using the notoriety that he gets on X to help get basically free advertising for Tesla. And, you know, the a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, you're you're taking your eye off your biggest moneymaker, and that's now suffering as a result. And one one conspiracy theory is that once he eventually shuts Twitter down, shuts X down. He'll then get lauded for saying, hey, I now have more time to focus on the things that really matter, like SpaceX or 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 Tesla. I can now no longer worry about how I'm going to get this $50 billion tax write-off, so now I can actually worry about my other pieces of business. I mean, again, if he's using it as a, 
if he's using it as a promotional tool for his other businesses, he doesn't care if it makes money. True. True. If that, if that is what he's doing. Right. And I, again, I, I don't think that, I think that's, that's to me is a, is a, is a long reach. I think he, he truly, in my mind, if I had to sift through the, the conspiracy theories that, that make sense is I do believe he likes he or loves Twitter as a platform. He considers himself a super user and he does believe that only he can save it. And that's not been proven successful. And I, I think he, he doesn't respond to failure as well. You know, I thought that Twitter could close down at, at any moment just because the amount of people that have left the platform, the amount of turmoil. And, you know, I just read an article this morning that say this is the final nail in the coffin that he's driven away all these advertisers. I don't know if that's true. I mean, it feels like Rasputin. They just, it's never going to go away. Well, that's the thing. It's so big. Even even if it's on the death nail, let's say, it's not going to turn off overnight. It's not going to all of a sudden just go. It's going to take years for it to unwind. You could say it's the death nail or the you know the last nail in the coffin now, but give yourself a three year timeline to actually prove yourself right. I mean, sure you're you're making a, a bet, but it's a long long term bet, and there there is a world where it turns around, and even if it doesn't, like I said, it's still going to take a long time for it to finally get to the point where it slows down completely. I just don't think it's. I just don't think I'll make. Here's my prediction. I don't think X is going to close its doors in 2024. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, considering that's a whole nother year from now, but I mean, let me ask you this question. What, why can't some other tech entrepreneur just come up with, and I know there's other ones out there like blue sky and uh, other ones that we've talked about, mm-hmm. yep. you know, so I, like, I know Mastodon was one mm-hmm. that, that, that popped up, Spill, but w- spill, why can't there just be another tech platform that that does what this does that that migrates all of these super users over to that and then brings their followers with them. So let me give you two answers. The first one is they might exist but as a bunch of small very hyper focused subgroups, right? So it might be all about initiatives like LGBTQ+, right? That might just be one. There might be one only for Republicans, which kind of already exists. There might be one only for Democrats, right? So you might have a bunch of them that exist because they're micro-targeted. Well, those are still pretty big, but again, very narrow-casted, if you will, as opposed to a catch-all type of platform. That's one. So that that could happen. I'm actually going to give you a second reason that I think might be actually a bigger reason than either one of us are thinking. Think about the cost of money today Versus the cost of money when Jack Dorsey, you know, Twitter back then, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, the cost of money during that those timeframes when those companies were taking off was literally cents on the dollars in comparison to today. And so there was free money essentially being thrown around. People had, I think, a much larger appetite to say, hey, I'll throw money at this because it's cheap and see if I can get a 100x return overnight on one of these things hitting, you know, like a Facebook did or one of those types of big go from nothing to something so fast and get so big that you just everybody profits. But I think that that actually might be the one of the largest reasons is just the cost of money to do it today is just so much more. So you might have to wait another couple of years for interest rates to come down 
for it to actually have the same type of effect. Yeah, I mean, every major platform in the social space that has relied on user-generated content, it started off as a non-ad-supported entity first. Mm -hmm. And then it became an ad-supported entity, and that's when the the revenue started. Yeah, in fact, they came up with a whole term for when they were losing money, but everyone thought they would make money. They call it pre-revenue. A loss is a loss, but the accounting people call it pre-revenue. And all these companies, to your point, went through a pre-revenue phase. Amazon did historically for a long, long time. I just don't understand if, and I'm not saying blue sky is the answer, but if all the people that are frustrated with X, why don't they just jump ship and move all their followers over to that platform? Because people don't follow things that easily. Think about if you get people to finally download your app, right? The hardest thing to do is get anybody to download your app. The second hardest thing to do is get them to open it a second time. Once you've spent the amount of time, effort, and by, you know, I'll just call it equity because that isn't necessarily money, right? It's time, it's efforts, all those things to build an audience. And then all of a sudden tell your 100,000 people who follow you on X, hey, by the way, I'm now over here. And let's be honest, 90% of those people have never heard of the platform. None of them have it on their phone. You're asking them to go out, figure out what this platform is, download, create an account, and then follow you again. I just think it's just too much friction involved. But what about all those other apps that have come and gone in the space? And I know they're still around in some form, you know, in one way or another, but like the Foursquares and the MySpace and all those other brands that kind of did similar things to what like Facebook does. Like they were all kind of jockeying for first position and then one of them went away. I know that's kind of survival of the fittest, but at some point, People had to choose, like you said, to download one of those apps and make it their their go-to for I to me, like Foursquare went away as a consumer-facing app because Facebook all of a sudden flipped on the ability to check into places, which was fair Foursquare's really right. only claim to fame. Because X doesn't do anything else, it's hard for me to see A that maybe there's another company that that manifests itself out of thin air that does what X and and Twitter does and does it better and all the users just migrate over and then uh, X becomes another MySpace or Foursquare. Yeah. Or another company tries to buy them. But again, I don't really see the value for that. They already, like you said, they already have the same users. Yeah. Again, it would only be if I could make X of profitable advertising platform, then that's just more revenue for the company. But right now they keep losing money on the advertising front. So there's, there's almost no reason for another company to buy them. I'll give you a parallel and I'll tell you like in the positive spin, which is kick and Twitch, right? Twitch has done so much and has cut back on the amount of money they pay their creators and how much their creators can make that they basically forced them onto the other platform, which is Kick. And now Kick is growing exponentially, especially in the gaming space with live streamers because Twitch has made it so hard to work with them. So in one way, Musk is working is making it hard to work with the platform X because of his exploits, whereas Twitch is doing it just through putting in new regulations that is actually hurting their content creators and really pushing them off the platform. So in that case, when you ask the question, like who could take over a behemoth, because let's be honest, Twitch being part of Amazon is the first thing that most people think of when you think of that type of content for gaming and live streaming. 
Kick is now coming up strong on their heels because of actions they've done to force people off the platform. Until X, I guess X is X is definitely forcing advertisers off the platform. And I've heard of a few people who had accounts that have closed them, but you're not seeing that big drowning of voices coming out and saying, hey, I'm taking, to your point, I'm taking my 2.5 million followers and I am now trying to motivate them to go somewhere else right now. You're just not seeing that tidal wave happen. Right. I think that's the, there needs to be some bellwether content creators on X who all band together and say, we're going to this platform. And there has to be some sort of like formal migration or maybe, maybe that's if Musk does eventually fold the business and, and he says, I can't make this profitable. So I'm shutting it down. So, I mean, that, that would be the only way I could see in the, sh- in the near term, like you, you already said that you didn't think it was going to go away in 2024. You're probably right. Yeah. Any, any other predictions that for, for the social media space or, or the user generated content space? Cause it's not really social. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have any other predictions right now, although that would probably be a really good follow-up one for us to do in a couple of weeks here at the end of the year to talk about what we think is going to happen in the new year, make some bold predictions and see how things go. So I'm going to kind of have to, I'm going to spare and I'm going to think about that. One. Okay. Well, now we have a, we have a topic for our, our next one. Any final thoughts? No, although it's been really, really between this and the whole Sam Altman open AI circus that's been going on over this exact same time frame it's been quite a last couple weeks in the media world i will definitely save that for our next discussion because that has been super interesting yeah all right man uh talk to you next week you got it bye everybody